All right, what is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Of course. So we have quite a few questions today, so I don't want to take too long before we get into these. But first and foremost, just tell us, like, what's been going on with your training? What's been going on with your researching for the last month? For the last month? Okay, since we talked on here last, it honestly hasn't been a big change. Um, I think I was just getting ready to start the strength um, mesocycle whenever we talked last so I'm getting ready to finish that up. This is the last week of that, which I've really enjoyed because I like the strength work. And uh, next week, I should start dieting finally for the photo shoot prep. So hopefully um, around the end of summer, I'm thinking it'll be finished up like September-ish. So and you've, had a, you've had an interesting process getting ready for this photo shoot because you started working with Sue in what, like October? Mm-hmm. It was November, right? Or maybe December. Uh, I think it was late October, early November. Okay. And initially we thought you were kind of going to like almost immediately start. (laughs) I think maybe like maintenance a couple months and we get into a fat loss phase. So tell us then like what's been going on there, like what the process has been like to actually like get you ready for the cut. Because you've definitely been playing the long game here. Yeah. So we started out just with maintenance, just to see um, how I would respond to things. And then uh, my fasted glucose reads a little bit high. So we've just been doing a lot of work, like playing around with training, playing around with diet, playing around with supplements to see what would improve that. And then um, did a little bit of time in like a very, very slight deficit just to see how my body responded to that, um, see if it impacted my blood glucose numbers at all. And from that, I lost like four or five pounds, which a couple came right back with just carbs, you know, Um, and actually recomped fairly well with that too. Like my pictures show a pretty good difference like around the hips area and stuff. So just I from that, she could see like how my body responds to different types of cardio. We threw in some um, slow, long, uh, low intensity cardio and a little bit of hit for a bit just to see how I responded to that, I guess. And then um, came back up to maintenance where I've been for, I don't know. It was such a slight deficit. It's hard to say because my weight has been maintaining for a bit, but maybe like a month and a half, two months now. Um, and then, yeah, then next week we'll start the real diet. <laughs> okay. So it's and been a really what? interesting process. Go ahead. What? And how long are you thinking that'll be? Uh, well, originally she said like eight to 10 weeks is what she was expecting. That was before we ever did the first cut, like, um, deficit before the deficit, you know what I mean? Um, and so I honestly don't know if that has changed in her mind, like how long she thinks this will take. Um, I like, maybe she may have expected me to drop a little bit more during that time. And so I really don't know. At at some point I said that, Hey, that seems like pretty short. (laughs) I would think that it would take longer than that. She said, well, it's obviously like, um, we'll play it by ear a bit, but I also need to, have a somewhat of a hard timeline just to be able to hire a photographer in time. So she said like maybe up to 12 weeks. Okay. Okay. And I mean, you're already, 
would you consider yourself pretty lean right now? I'm fairly lean. I, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know. That's so subjective. It's hard for me to say. It's like, am I um, in, like Instagram fitness person lean? No, but. <laughs> I think your definition of lean is pretty lean because I know when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago and I was asking how lean you wanted to get, like at the end of when we took you through the cut, when you were coaching under me, it was shredded. I thought at the end and you're like, Oh yeah, I want to get way leaner. Than that. So <laughs> I think that your definition of like super lean must be pretty lean. Um, cool. What do you feel like from like this process that you've gone so far through so far? I and mean, like one of the things both of us do on our team is, work with a lot of different coaches who we look up in the industry, who we want to learn from. So we can like, like people that we know are doing things differently than us. So we can like learn different perspectives. Right. And we're not just always stuck in this one way of doing things. So for you, what do you feel like your biggest applicable takeaways to the way you coach clients have been from this so far, if any? Uh, with the training, I think I've learned a lot on that end of it. Um, that she so they at physique development have learned quite a bit from in one as well as working with other coaches themselves too and matching up the training with the diet so like keeping uh, more of the metabolic type work um, to the times whenever you're you've got the carbs available so that it's not putting too much stress on the body that's one thing and then also just uh, I Previously, I've always done, for most people, like start out with the big um, prime movers, like the big lifts, um, Mm -hmm. and then go more toward isolation toward the end of the training session and kind of a mix of reps within the session. And Mm -hmm. with them, I think we talked about this a little bit last time, like there's a strength uh, mesocycle where every lift is like four to six reps. Um, And then there's the metabolic type stuff where every lift, even starting out with the big compound lifts are anywhere from eight to 12 or 15. Um, So just like having more distinct phases like that has been really interesting. I think with people that are mostly focused on hypertrophy, I'll take a lot of that away from working with Sue and um, definitely implement quite a bit of that. So it's been interesting. Good, good. Yeah, that's definitely like, uh, I know that's something I've been digging into a lot more as well. Even the last time we talked, so I was basically saying like, hey, I think we're doing that wrong. And then it came out. Like, <laughs> oh, that's really, you were doing that perfectly. I was off on that. So, so like that, like incomplete rest. Method, right? so, cool. Yeah, it's been very interesting to watch your process. I know even I've exactly like, why it was okay. like, I want you to work with someone who's doing things a lot different, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm stoked to see. Um, I'm stoked to see like what your photo shoot, like the, what the results are, because it also sounds like you built a decent amount of muscle. What do you say? Yeah, it's it's always hard for me to tell, um, just because I see myself every day, but it's, it's been really interesting, like taking, so this is a, uh, speaks to why we also have our clients like take measurements and pictures, even though you would think that you could tell from the measurements, even if the weight has stalled, if you're recomping, you would think that the measurements would show a big difference. Well, um, my, my measurements with my waist and hips haven't changed really. Um, 
they're pretty much the exact same as when I started, but my pictures look completely different. So okay. I definitely, just from that, I know that I've built some muscle because things have shifted. <laughs> okay. So more, would you say like more lower body gains than upper? No, I can tell a difference in my shoulders. And uh, I have one of the biggest changes in my training has been focusing on a lot of different pulling movements. Like I've learned a lot about the form within the pulling movements from her. So mm -hmm. I, I think that uh, just like from the feel of the movements and things like that, and the, the way that I've added strength on a lot of the pulling movements, I, I know that I've put some on my back as well. Good. Okay, cool. I'd say that's, that's very similar. I'd say like the last one to two years, I've learned so much about like for a bodybuilding or freestyle training, like how much I could improve the way I was doing my pulling movements and quad focus movements and, and hinge movements. I, most of my training actually like, um, I, but I think like pulling movements are one that most people butcher. Like, so for you, talk us through that. And like, what is, what's the difference there? Like, what are you doing differently? Well, I've always done more so like a, strength focus or like performance focus training. So focusing only on hypertrophy has been new for me. And if I was asked to do a lap pull down before or a barbell row, it'd be just like grip and rip, like just get right. the weight from point A to point B. And right. with focusing on like the intention of the movement and what muscles I'm using, it's like, okay, for a lap movement, you're going to use a neutral grip and actually keep your hands in a little bit more narrow and think about where your elbow is pulling toward, whereas, and, and not cross the midline. Like that's not something that I ever thought about before. And then the lap pull down that most people you'll see do in the gym is actually not a great lap movement. It's more so an upper back movement. Like your right. hands are pronated. They're a little bit wider and you're pulling your elbows back like flared out and back behind you and that's going to work more of your upper back and your rhomboids so um having a really like set intention on each of those movements has been really cool just to learn about and like be able to feel and connect to what i'm supposed to be working in those absolutely that's i, I like you said i think and most people i think on a pulling movement like okay this is a lat pull down this is going to change my lats grip and rip right like you're not thinking about like what's my range of motion like you trap like mm -hmm. what, what's my path like and then i think you can get to a point where we're overthinking it a little bit too much where it's like i really need to like try to think and feel this muscle but i've had like yeah. a very similar journey i guess we could say in the last couple of years cool um let's dig into then the questions okay so first one we have new nutrition coach software recommendations what you got for Software. Uh, well, we use Google Sheets, and I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, it, wait, is this for training or is this for, like, diet tracking? Um, nutrition, yeah. I really like Google Sheets. <laughs> um, I really would recommend that over any of the, like, paid software just because it's so easy for everybody to use. Like, our end and the client's end is easy because it's Google. And um, it's free. They can set it up really easy. They can put the app on their phone and it's just really simple. And you can, you, I mean, if you know how to use the spreadsheet, you can customize it in a million different ways 
to mm-hmm. set it up for what you need. Whereas if you're using a paid software, you're working within the parameters set by whoever made that software. So I really have liked using Google Sheets. No, exactly. And that's, I agree. Like I've trying to push our coaching service along. I feel like I've experimented with so many different softwares and whatnot. And it always comes back to, especially like for, for training programming, we use True Coach. I like True Coach a lot. I do wish there were some things that were a little bit customizable, like, like we could put like, uh, you could like rank the pump you got, for example, on a scale mm-hmm. of one to three and just like a little drop down instead of like, like I have clients like leave a note about that, but it is a little bit more time consuming. But like same thing with Google Sheets, again, like you said, it's so customizable. And I think that like you were talking about someone hitting you up about like using Avatar to basically like do automated nutrition coaching for you and like mm-hmm. still say, which of course we're not going to do, but, but it's like a nutrition coaching software. So I think they make adjustments on that. Like yeah, so I would be even, I mean, this is maybe pushing it, but I would maybe be a little bit wary of somebody who's using uh, some sort of software just because that like with the avatar, for example, like that's doing the coaching and you're not getting customized coaching that um, is, I don't, I don't know. Like the coach at the, in that situation, the coach is not really doing much. They're just there for accountability, which is, right. yeah. So. No, I agree. And I mean, it brings, it speaks to why we like Google sheets, right? Because the beauty of Google sheets is we can talk through like, okay, so you're super stressed this week. And we think that, and it's like, we, and then this is impacting your sleep, which is in turn impacting your progress, your recovery. So we're going to hold you accountable to every night this week. You're going to meditate for 10 minutes before you go to bed, whatever we determine what the client thing is going to be. Okay. Now we're going to hold you accountable to this. We're going to add a little column to tracker and stuff. And that's like, it's, it's simple, but that's like the crux of like every nutrition coaching software. Like why, we don't. Why we just use Google Sheets? One, our, our sheet looks. Oh, so cute. Um, <laughs> but two, but again, like we can customize it to like all these little things we want to track. We want it to graph out. Um, it's just like we. You can truly make it fit the client and their specific needs. Where again, it's like like you said, there's only certain parameters that we're like forced to work within if we're using a software. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, I don't think so. Cool. Um, okay, next question is, what's your opinion on shoes versus no shoes for deadlifting and squatting? I want to hear your take on this one as well, because you're probably a better deadlifter and a better squatter than I am. <laughs> well, I really like deadlifts in particular without shoes. Um, there are some shoes that are great for deadlifting. If you can get something like a New Balance Minimus or the Vivo Barefoot shoes, just because that'll give you a little bit better grip. And they have a wide toe box, so you can spread your toes out and really grip the floor with your toes. So on a deadlift, um, you want to think about having like the first toe, last toe, and heel all making contact. And then from there, kind of like, like you're picking something up from the floor with your toes. So anything where you can have a flat foot close to the floor and grip with your toes is going to be great for deadlifts. They have those silly slipper things, but I don't see any reason to use those. If you could just, what? Slippers. Oh yeah. There's deadlift slippers. They're, 
they're what? big with they're big with powerlifting. Um, you know, get to the as close to the floor as possible, I guess. <laughs> they're silly. It's like a it's like a pair of socks that don't it's like the socks that are no show where it just okay. covers your toes and your heels. <laughs> huh. I, I I mean I if you like really like Jackie House slippers like deadlifting. Yeah, like uh Oh shoot! What's the juggernaut, Chad? Oh, Chad Wesley Smith, who uses like mm-hmm. boat shoes. Anyway, <laughs> it's just it's all about like flat foot, close to the floor, and if you can have something that's like the Vivo barefoots that are grippy, that's nice because especially if you're sumo deadlifting, uh, you can slip if you're if you have a really really wide stance and you're thinking about spreading the floor. With squats, depends on your reason for squatting. So if it's for strength, then if you have great ankle mobility, then a flat shoe is great. Same thing as the deadlifts would be just fine. If you don't have great mobility, then squat shoes are great because you can get down a little bit lower um, without that ankle mobility. Uh, If you are training for... Uh, hypertrophy, then I'd say a squat shoe would still be good because you're putting a little bit more quad bias. But um, in that case, you could just use a wedge or some plates even underneath your heels. But I would just say as long as you're not in like a cushy running shoe, then it then you're going to be fine. But barefoot is also good as long as you're I don't know. I would keep that to your own house, <laughs> not at a commercial gym. I feel like that's, I know like when I used to be at the gym, like everyone was lifting like in their socks, but I think that's probably a little bit more frowned upon now than it yeah, was. Yeah, for sure. And you're leaving like sweaty footprints around whenever you rest and walk back to the bench. I don't know. It just seems a little bit gross. Uh, cool. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that Vivo Barefoot's, are just an ugly ass view. <laughs> personally, I like, yeah, like you want to, for deadlifts, really like for any lower body training, I always just take my shoes off. For squats, I'm going to typically use, I have lifters. I have like a squat wedge a little bit better than a lifter, like a little bit more dramatic incline yet. Um, but yeah, for like most, like you said, like if you're using like a super cushy running shoe, that's like the only thing that's a no-go, right? Yeah. So um, because that's going to basically make you have a much less stable base because it, that's like, it, you think about it, like that's your only two connections to the ground, of course, every feet. Um, but like think about like how unstable the base of that really is. You're like trying to squat <laughs> it's like trying to squat on a cloud almost. That's probably yeah. a little bit of an exaggeration. But like still. you're trying to put a bunch of force through the ground, but you're you can't like you're getting some rebound from that. Exactly. Exactly. So that like you said, like a flat footed shoe uh, and socks. Lifters are great for squatting. Um if you don't have great ankle mobility, or again if you're just more hypertrophy focused, or you can put like a five, ten pound plate. Or like some type of wedge under your heel to get a little oh, bit, like, aka knee bend. Um, yeah, I don't really think it, vans were good. Socks were good. Vans are my always my go-to there. Uh, I haven't had any of those. I use chucks. Uh, chucks are trash too. <laughs> uh, are vans that much different? 
They look like they'd be the same shoe, just with different upper. Oh, I think they're basically the same shoe. I just think Chucks are an ugly shoe too. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I don't know if I have anything else to add on that. Do you? No. Okay, cool. So next question we have is, let me get this pulled up real quick. Sorry about this. Um, how long should soreness last after a leg day in a metabolic phase? Might have taken hammy day too far. <laughs> that's that's a hard question to answer because very much yeah. like it I would say, and I mean, even if we're like, okay, to find a metabolic phase, right? Like we have like the metabolite phase, which is kind of different from like a metabolic phase that you would run. So like for you, like within your programming, a metabolic phase is more, probably going to have shorter rest periods. Like what you were talking about on our last podcast, right? Where you had like four sets of 10 deadlifts, I believe, with like 45 mm-hmm. or 60 seconds a week, right? Yeah. Like for you, if I'm correct, that's a metabolic phase, right? Like basically it's right. incomplete rest. Um, your heart rate is jacked up. And actually, I think one of the outcomes you want, you do want to get a pump and like a lot of um, metabolite accumulation. There are going to be so many in the background of this podcast. I have a leaf floor <laughs> going outside of my window. Andrea, as everyone can tell, is a busy mom which is why you crush it with so many of the moms that you work with. Um, <laughs> but there is so Mario fun. Kart in the background of this <laughs> podcast. Bear with us on this one. So, I mean, that's like somewhat, I don't know if that necessarily, so like for, like within my programming, like a metabolite phase is where, okay, so and I don't actually ever program hamstring metabolite work because it doesn't seem to be a muscle group that responds to it super well. But again, like, we're choosing one target muscle group for training day. So like if it's a chest-focused metabolite session, we're going to do like something like a cable chest fly supersetted with depths of push-ups, right? Like 10 to 15 chest flies, 10 to, right into 10 to 15 depths of push-ups. And we're really going to overload the muscle in the lengthened and the stretch or the lengthened and the short position. And um, basically get a crazy pump there. Now, again, like in, in yours where it's more like, okay, we're going to have maybe 45 seconds rest between like all our sets and then like my heart rate is going to be way jacked up throughout like there's a little bit more of a conditioning effect as well i would say um but i don't would you say that's accurate yeah yeah i would it's hard to say with the soreness though like how long you should be sore um that depends on so many other factors like is your nutrition on point is your hydration on point are you getting enough electrolytes um, what week of your mesocycle is this? Because like I'll, I'll feel soreness the first week and then beyond that, I'm never sore. Or like there's some some muscle groups where I'll get sore and then some like shoulders or lats, for example, I'm never sore um, regardless of how much volume I'm doing with those. So that's just such a hard thing to answer because everybody's a little bit different there. And then like, is this something that is programmed from a coach or is this where you're like, all right, hammy day, I'm going in and just hammering my hamstrings and getting way too much volume and overtraining or overreaching on those. So it's kind of hard to say how long you should be sore. I'd agree. I would say like hamstrings are one that I would say again. And like, did you add in the novel stimulus is also going to train. I would say if it feels like, damn, I might've gone too far. Like I think I strained something. If it, if it feels like an injury rather, like you can typically tell the difference between like, okay, I might've strained something or this is an actual injury versus muscle soreness, right? You should typically, you can 
tell the difference between the two. Um, if it feels like that, like, okay, probably strain something. I went a little bit too hard. I would say typically if your soreness is lasting more than like three days and again, past, I would say if you're past like the first week of a new mesos, first, first two weeks of a new move, mesocycle with like a new movement. So let's say like she was doing conventional deadlifts for hamstrings and now she's doing like a stiff, like a deadlift or a Romanian deadlift for hamstrings. That would be something where like, okay, you put a huge amount of tension on your hamstrings in a stretch position. They're probably going to be pretty sore for a good amount of time. But past that, I would say, like, if you're hella sore for more than three days, you're probably actually doing a little bit too much. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially if it's not a, mo- a new movement, like you said. Cool. Um, all right. Next question we have. I'll let you take this one away. How slash when does muscle loss occur during a diet or otherwise? How or when does muscle loss occur during a diet? Uh, Really, if you are dieting with high protein and still trying to perform well during your training, like still having the mindset of being in a build with your training um, and keeping your protein high enough with your diet, like at least 0.8 grams per pound of muscle weight, uh, uh, per, wait, <laughs> per, oh my goodness, at least 0.8 grams per pound of body mass. Man, that was really hard for me to get out there. Um, then it's going to be pretty hard to lose muscle on a diet. If you're, if you've been dieting for a really long time and you think you're starting to lose muscle, it may be time to either reverse or at least take a break and like reassess what you're doing. Um, and then I have also, I heard Bill Campbell, um, just say recently on a podcast who is a uh, protein researcher or a body comp researcher, um, that it's nearly impossible for women to lose muscle mass, even with, uh, the context of lower protein. So, um, I'd say if you aren't consuming enough protein, and you've been dieting for too long and you're not pushing yourself in your training. Those are probably the, the ways that you could potentially lose muscle. But I think it's probably harder for people to lose muscle than they think if they're doing mm-hmm. things like the right way. Do you agree, agree or do you see muscle loss in, in people who are still like trying to maintain the muscle? I think it's a lot harder than people think. Again, I think it's kind of, um, you know, some like some clients we work with really, it's easy to get in your head about this because I think a lot, like a lot of times on a diet, you're going to be, so like client glasses, really she has a photo shoot on Tuesday. So what in like five, six days, she's gotten super lean. Yeah, um, she looks great. She's the one who you posted her picture, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she's crushed it. Busy mama fives, and I'm I'm stoked about how like Five. the look she's bringing to it. Yeah, um, <laughs> good for her. <laughs> so, Slow clap. Like, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, but for her, like she's super lean right now. She's also taking work. Like right now, she's at the point where she's the most depleted. Right, and that's the thing to understand too. Like so much of what it makes the muscle appear larger is going to be the glycogen, aka carbs that you eat, that are then shuttled to the muscle, which also suck up suck up some water. So water within them, right? So, like realize that when you're deep in a cut, you're, this is why people say I look flat, 
right? Your muscles are basically depleted of glycogen and water, and thus they appear a lot smaller. So it'll be like getting ready for a photo shoot, for example, when you get super lean, it'll be like, oh man, like I look, I look like a tiny person, like the couple <laughs> before, like I look so scrawny. And then like when you go through, okay, now we're carving up, now we're we don't really manipulate water, but because you've carved up, that's going to pull more collection and water into the cells. Then it's like, oh, okay. Now I see like that muscle that, because so it's easy to get in your head and like, man, I just look kind of skinny now. Like I must've lost all my muscle. But again, like that's a lot harder to happen than I think people think it is. Um, yeah. That's a really good say, point. Go ahead. Uh, I was just saying that's a really good point. Cause there's also that time when you start a diet and you do deplete the glycogen and some water with, from inside your muscle mass. And then it's like, oh, man, you haven't lost fat yet, but you've, you've uh, what looks like lost some muscle because you've depleted the glycogen. So it's like a really terrible in-between point. So that's a, that, that is a good point because somebody could start out their diet and be like, oh, man, I'm losing muscle, but I still look fluffy. Or Anyway. No, exactly. And this is a conversation I was just having with Steve, my coach as well. Like, um, I was looking at, okay, when I was two, like, so I just hit 210, right? So last time I was 210, like on the way up when I was building versus 210 now, how do I look, right? And then even comparing the two, it's like, okay, well, right now I'm very depleted. Then I was like carved up, I was full. So in the reality, like, as soon as I eat more carbs, um, I'm probably going to... Again, like once I pull back up, I'll now will be like three to five pounds heavier, right? So it's not really like accurate for me to compare like 210 on the way up. When I was like, you know, my muscles were more, way more full versus now. So, and it kind of got off on a different tangent here, but point of all of this is it's a lot harder. Like, unless you get rid of the stimulus, so unless your body senses that this muscle is no longer needed. So, like, one mistake people make is going to be, like I was before at this fat loss phase, I was like lifting heavy weights, um, focusing on progressive overload, but now I'm just going to like completely get rid of that and focus on burning as many calories as I can. And basically like just do cardio, right? If we did that again, your body muscle is a calorically expensive tissue. So your body is going to sense like, okay, I'm no longer being hit with this constant stress of the lifting these weights, which sends your body the signal that the muscle is needed, right? To be able to continue to like adapt to this challenge so that's when it's like okay if we're not sending the signal anymore yeah you'll probably lose or again if you're under eating protein but as long as you're not like doing anything like that again i think it's a lot less common than people think yeah. just a lot of a people look pretty flat or b a lot of times people also don't have as much muscle as they think like at the end of the day, right yeah like i know i've been there like okay i gained I gained 20 pounds in the last three months. That was for sure like 90% muscle, right? <laughs> like, okay, maybe it was like three pounds, <laughs> three pounds of muscle. But um, do you have anything else to add to that? Uh, well, even so, if we're thinking about in the context of um, not dieting, it only takes like a third of the volume to maintain muscle. So if you're not dieting, you're probably in no uh no danger of that. And even I, gosh, there's, there's been a study, um, on like how long you can go without training to actually lose the contractile tissue. Like, yeah, you're going to lose the glycogen and maybe some of that technically lean body mass because the water within the muscle is part of lean body mass. Um, but to actually lose contractile tissue, it takes a while to lose it. Um, so yeah, you would have to be combining like a pretty good calorie deficit along with, 
low protein along with no stimulus to the muscle to lose that contractile tissue. I agree. And that's like, I think it's kind of, uh, and even then, like, if you did lose a bit of muscle, as soon as the diet ends, like we can get that back very, very quickly as well. Uh, I would really say like, it's, if you're doing things in this, in a smart manner, you're still working hard in your training. It's not a major concern for most people. And and this is kind of where the nuance between like, let's say you're a bodybuilder getting ready for a bodybuilding stage. Right. And when we're getting so damn lean that it's like, when we're getting to like six, 7% body fat, then it's a little bit more likely to happen. But also like part of that too is like for a bodybuilder, if they lose two pounds of muscle, like that can be like going into the, cause they don't have the luxury of like, okay, I dieted all the way down. Then I spent X amount of time eating and like regained this muscle over the last like few weeks. Right. It's like you're most depleted. And then like the next week I'm on the stage or something along those lines. So for them, losing two pounds of muscle is again, like a, that's a lot bigger deal because that can completely change their look. Whereas I would say for most people, it's not a major concern. And again, like most people aren't even getting lean enough to where it is like uh, likely to happen. Yeah. Which is exactly why whenever somebody starts out with us, like super overweight versus somebody who starts out already relatively lean, the person who's very overweight can start out with a huge deficit and be in no, no risk of muscle loss. So yeah, that's a really good point too. Cool. All right. Next question we have says bro splits are back question mark <laughs> recent Schoenfeld study. I, I'm actually not sure what study she's referencing. Yeah. I, I don't know that one either. Okay. So um, like I tried to dig around and I actually, I don't know if I'm just out of the loop with this one, but like what I could find is basically a study from like four or five years ago, Brad Schoenfeld basically saying, um, if volume is equated across the week, frequency doesn't matter too much, which I would say is probably pretty accurate. The thing with like, uh, the thing is like, we know, and it, all the research that I've seen, it's interesting too, because Brad Schoenfeld is like, when people talk about like twice per week frequency, it's also a Schoenfeld study that people talk about, like yeah. not doing bro plus four. So again, I'm not quite sure what she's referencing here, but basically like, we know there. So if you, have you read James Krieger's? Like, I didn't catch the last part of that. James Krieger's what? Volume Bible. Volume Bible. Um, no, I don't think so. That's different than the um, muscle and strength. Mm. So basically it's just, I believe it's a meta analysis of a bunch of different studies on volume. And basically what they found is they found is, on average, a muscle tends to respond to best to about six to eight parts. And then once we get past that point, we kind of dip into. So basically, the idea here is there's a certain upper limit to the amount of volume we can hit a muscle with per training session before we dip into what we call junk volume. Right. So basically what junk volume is, is we've OK, so we've hit like this threshold where like think of it as effective stimulus, right? Like every rep gives us a certain amount of stimulus. Now I, for some reason I always use, like when I explain this to clients, I always use this idea of like poison. Um, but like, okay. So over time people like slowly build up their immunity to poison by like, if you'd like take a dose, I don't know if this is actually a real thing, but I saw it in a movie. Um, 
the Princess Bride. Yes. Uh, the only reason I uh, like recognize that reference is you were talking to Chaz about your dog being named Inigo. <laughs> yeah, it's actually from, have you seen the movie? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great movie. But anyways, um, apparently no one's seen it, but um, okay. So like there, like the dude, the dread pirate Roberts has been building up <laughs> this poison for years and years and years by consecutively taking like a little bit larger doses. Right. But like volumes in a way, somewhat similar um like we need just the right amount of dose to push along these new adaptations right but like the devil is in the dose past a certain point now we're not just going to die from like doing too much training volume but past a certain point like so let's say it is six sets or eight sets like for chest okay let's say i did eight sets okay i've gotten the maximum stimulus that my body can adapt to from these eight sets now i can keep doing sets for chest i can do 15 as a bench press, but past like this volume threshold, I'm not going to keep getting like more beneficial stimulus. Again, I would have gotten just as much growth if I would have done the eight sets versus the 15, but those extra seven sets I did do add more fatigue than my body has to recover from. So it's junk volume. Again, it's adding more fatigue, but it's not adding more beneficial stimulus. Now the thing there is like that does vary from individual to individual. So like, even if we look at like a meta analysis, right? Like this is on average, people did best with six to eight hard sets per muscle group per training session. Um, now again, like it's not, so it's like some people could probably handle 12, 13, 14. And some people are probably closer to that, like five to six. It does depend. And again, that's why like individualization is important. That's why not all of our clients follow the exact same training split. Um, so I would say, I don't, again, I wish I knew what the study was, but I mean, I would say a bro split probably isn't like the worst thing in the world. I don't think it's as terrible as what people make it out to be. And I would say like, if you can make all of that volume still affect, if you were like the individual who can handle like over, well let's say 14 or 15 sets and it's not junk volume probably it's not any less beneficial than like if we were following an upper lower split. Um, because I don't think there's a lot to like frequency necessarily being that much more superior. But again, I think like the biggest thing is oftentimes it's like if I'm following a bro split, like again, if I'm doing 16 sets for chest today versus, okay, I do eight sets on Monday and eight sets on Thursday, we're probably getting a more effective volume of splitting it up. I think it's just a safer bet for most people. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would think that most people could probably like tell, like say that just from common sense. Like think about if you're doing 16 sets, what your first three are going to feel like versus your last three. Like the last three are probably not going to be great, great quality. Um, your, your other supporting muscles are going to be taking over much more. You're not going to get, like you said, an effective stimulus to the target and muscle. And if you can recover for a couple of days in, bef in between and then do those other sets that you would have done on the first day on a separate day where you're more recovered, it just makes more sense. <laughs> like you're going to be able to put more effort into it. So I, sure. I can't imagine ever going back to like the bro split kind of a training. Did you follow bro split? I... I did, but I didn't do it right. I mean, like that's whenever I was very first starting to lift and it was like, 
All right, today is arms and then tomorrow is chest and then legs are the next day. So I'm just going to skip that day. <laughs> uh, so I didn't do it right. And it wasn't like I had a plan going in. It was just like, I had a plan of what muscle or what body part I was going to train. And then I would just go in and do anything I could think of for that body part. Oh yeah. That is exactly. I think that's how most people like, all right, it's chest day. So like what's literally every variation of, <laughs> yeah. of a bench press that I can think of. Okay. I'm going to do flat bench, decline bench, incline bench, push-ups yep. just and like then every chest machine <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah it was it was a it was a good time i would say or like okay it's shoulder day it's arm day um i know like for the first there was like a year and a half the first year and a half when i really got to lifting it was okay today's chest and it was just alternating three days per week it was chest and back two days a week it was shoulders and arms no legs in there at all um it, it was a good time though. So yeah, <laughs> but, it, it, but like it, it feels good. Like, and it's fun to go in and like absolutely be shaking <laughs> with that muscle before you leave. And it might, there might be something too, like doing that as a beginner, whenever you can't push as much weight, but then like whenever you're more advanced and you can actually use some heavier weight and get a better stimulus, like you actually know what you're doing more so with the actual movement and hitting that muscle in a better way anyway, than that maybe it would be the better time to split it up and be able to get more effective volume per day. You know what I mean? That's a very good point as well. Because like now, like I can't imagine doing like four different variations of bench because like now after I do like a, like today, if I did a flat bench and, uh, um, and a low to high chest fly and my chest is just wrecked after that. Right. Like, and I think that's too, like you said, that's also why I focus on execution and have people shoot us form videos and like get so deep into that as well, because that's so much of like, I know when I know for a fact, when I was training like that, so much of the volume that I did was doing, was an effective volume just because my form was shitty. Right. And again, that's the power of having someone to audit your training. And even we've talked about like for both of us in the last couple of years, we've learned so much about hypertrophy training and like, okay, even after training this long, I was doing all these things wrong and they could have been more effective, like having outside eyes on you for that. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any other thoughts on that? No, except for that. I'm interested to see that study whenever we can find it. I'll, I'll DM her and see like what one specifically she was talking about. Cause I want to make sure again, Maybe we'll have to revisit this on the next podcast if like something else comes up. Yeah. Um, cool. I think that is all the questions we have for now. As always, Andrea, thank you for being here. Um, and thank you guys all for tuning in.